I wanted to talk about Hanukkah for a few minutes. Like everyone else, I have been watching what's been happening in this nation for many, many years now. To begin, I'll start with a little story. My wife and I were missionaries for many years, and um, so we would oftentimes disappear from the United States for uh, years at a time. And we would not come back to the United States during that point. And so we weren't able to gradually see the changes that have taken place. I can tell you that between 1994 and 1998, during the years that we were living in the former Soviet Union, working as missionaries there, that this country suffered a huge change in the way we did things, in the way our people thought, in the way we acted, in what we expected from those that would lead us. There was just a, a monstrous change, and it wasn't a change for the better. There's a science experiment where you can put a frog in a pot of water and you can begin heating this water up. And as long as you heat it up slowly enough, just because of how the, the frog's body works, then literally this frog will allow itself to be cooked to death rather than jumping out of this pot of water as long as the water is heated up gradually enough. Now, I say that because when we got back in 1998, most people really didn't think anything had particularly changed. My family weren't exactly sure what I was talking about when I said, the United States has really changed during this time. They didn't get it because, you see, they had been here. So they had gradually learned to adjust to the changes that were happening in this society. You, you get that? They had adjusted to it because they were here, and it was gradual enough that they didn't have a reaction to it. They were as that frog in the pot of water. And I will submit to you that most of the people of the United States are exactly like that frog in a pot of water, and we are being cooked. And it's time for us to wake up and jump out of that pot of water and not allow ourselves to be cooked by a society which is leaving God behind. Now, I'm not saying we retreat from the society. Heavens, no. That's not what God is called to do. Rather, we resist the changes that are happening, and we act as the early Maccabees did in order to change our society back to one that is once again directed towards God and for God rather than against God. So as I was thinking about the title for the message today the title that God laid on my heart and I want you to get this because it should be on your heart also is Hanukkah 
2020. I will submit to you that the conditions that we are seeing today very much look like the conditions that the people of ancient Israel were struggling under around the year 170 BCE. You see, Hanukkah is a holiday which we don't find in the biblical record. Unless you look at the Catholic Bible, and I guess to them that would be the biblical record. It's in First and Second Maccabees. That's where you read about Hanukkah. You don't read about it in, 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 in either Torah or Tanakh or the Brit Hadashah. You read about it in First and Second Maccabees, which are wonderful historical books and also books which call God's people to repentance as they tell the story of this time of Hanukkah when during a time of extreme duress amongst the people of Israel they had this time of dedication hence the feast of dedication and so I want to say a few words about that today because I think it's going to help us as we go forward through the years that are to come. Of course, it's a holiday that was begun in the intertestamental period. One of the reasons that we don't see it in Torah or Tanakh, it could have been, I guess, placed in the Protestant Bible. Certainly Martin Luther felt like at least 1 Maccabees and perhaps even 2 Maccabees should be in the Protestant Bible. There was an evil king. Well, first of all, Alexander the Great had conquered most of the known world. And he had created a great empire. But he died at a very, very early age. And his empire was split between four of his generals. One of those generals controlled an area that would have described Syria and ancient Assyria and parts of Babylon. That was known as the Seleucid Empire. Down in Egypt, in the book of Daniel, you read about the kings of the north and the south. That's talking about the king of the Seleucid Empire and the king of the Ptolemaean Empire, which was based out of Egypt. Anyways, one of these kings from the Seleucid Empire was a very evil man and also quite mad, quite nuts. His name was Antiochus. And he chose the surname or the byname Epiphanes, which means God with us. Wow, that's quite a name, isn't it? Chosen by this evil king. Now this king, he decided that his people should worship him. They should not worship anyone or anything else. They should certainly not worship the God of the Hebrew people. And so he decided to do something about that. And he sent his soldiers into Israel. He did everything he could to ensure that the people of Israel would adopt his culture, which was a Greco-Syrian culture. It was quite pagan in nature and quite debased as well. It was sexually debased. 
and it was certainly spiritually debased. But this was the culture of this king and of his people, and he decided that his entire empire would embrace this culture or else he would punish whoever would stand against him in this. Um, he chose this name Epiphanes, uh, his contemporaries, knowing how crazy the man was, actually called him Epimanus, which means madman. It was a play on words. Epiphanus, Epimanus, so God with us or the madman. Well, naturally it was the latter. He was the madman. And he was. He sent his soldiers in. They desecrated the temple. They sacrificed a pig to the god Zeus on the altar in the temple of God, completely desecrating it. He forced the people to take part in the games in the gymnasium in which they would compete in the nude. He would do everything he could to force the children to have their, to, to force the parents to have their children trained in the ways of the Greeks rather than the ways of God. It was a terrible time for the people. Can you imagine how the righteous of Israel felt during that time? Watching their nation being taken over by a culture which was anti-God, by a culture which was perverting their children, by a culture which was challenging them in every way possible, by a culture that if you didn't bow to it, you were certainly going to be persecuted. You may pay with your life. Have any of you felt that way lately? Indeed, Hanukkah 2020. Because we're in Hanukkah. And I don't just mean the season. We are actually seeing Hanukkah acted out before our very eyes in our own nation. My brother, uh, I say brother, he is a brother. He's a brother in the Lord. And he's a prince among rabbis also. Bert Yellen, he pointed out that Hanukkah has a number of points of connection with Sukkot. Now, I find that very interesting just because of the nature of Sukkot, the holiday. You know, Sukkot, has been known as a number of different things. It's certainly the great feast, the time when all of the harvest of Israel is brought in at the end of the year. It's the time in which uh, the prayers are said for good rain to fall for the next year. It's known as the Feast of the Nations because this is the time when sacrifices were made specifically for the nations. It's also known as the Feast of of lights in a certain way because of the lights that would be lit up on the Temple Mount and around Jerusalem, all of the candelabras glowing brightly with the light to God. That was Sukkot. You know, Sukkot has on numerous occasions actually been celebrated at a different time of the year than during Sukkot. So it was with the Maccabees, we'll find out. Um, so anyways, the first point 
as far as its connection with Sukkot. Uh, Hanukkah derives its name from Solomon's dedication of the altar after the first temple had been completed. It really does. We read the phrase, Hanukkah Mizbeach. When we speak of that dedication of the temple by Solomon, uh, we know from 2 Chronicles 7, 9 and 1 Kings 8 that the time of the dedication of during Solomon's temple was during the time of the feast, which is how the celebration of Sukkot was referred to. Yeshua went up to Jerusalem during the feast. Following the feast, they dedicated the, the temple on Sheminiot Seret. Leviticus 23 describes the eighth day as a holy convocation immediately following the seven days of Sukkot. The eighth day is a separate holy day with its own form of celebration. Today, that's known, of course, as Simchat Torah. So there's a connection there between these two holidays, between the holiday of Sukkot and the holiday of Hanukkah. However, the connections between Hanukkah and Sukkot are deeper and hold even greater meaning for us, I think, than just this. In 1 Maccabees, the, holica, the, the holiday is actually called Sukkot Bekislev, the Sukkot in the month of Kislev. Why would that be? Because that's not the month when Sukkot is customarily held, right? But you see, Sukkot could not be celebrated in the customary month of Tishrei at that time because of the ongoing war with the Seleucid Empire. And the fact that the temple was completely unusable. Therefore, after the temple and its utensils had been rededicated, the feast was celebrated instead in the month of Kislev. Is it possible? I just want to ask you the question. Considering the prophecies that we read in Daniel and the book of Revelation, which I think are primarily directed towards Israel and the people of Israel, is it possible that prophetically there will be a future Sukkot Bekislev because of a future war that does not allow the celebration of Sukkot in Jerusalem at the customary time. Who knows? Maybe. It certainly happened before. Interestingly, the Jewish historian Josephus was the first who dubbed um, Hanukkah as the Feast of Lights, no doubt referring to the many candelabras throughout the city and temple precinct which were still standing and were lit for Hanukkah. Hanukkah holds immense importance for all of us who are Messianic believers today, both Jew and Gentile. I want to give you a few of these reasons why it's so important to us. First, it was those brave Maccabees nearly 2,200 years ago who ensured that there would be a sovereign Israel for Messiah to be born into. I want you to think if this evil king had had his way, there would not have been an Israel for Yeshua to be born into. 
We could say that those Maccabees, as called by God and as empowered by God, by his Ruach HaKodesh, created the conditions that were necessary that there would be an Israel that our Messiah could be born into, and he was. It was the very Jewish disciples of Yeshua who first brought the Besorah, the gospel, to the Gentiles so we too could come to know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So consider that, all of us who are Gentiles here, and that includes me. The Maccabees made it possible for us to hear the good news. Because in their obedience to God, not being willing to bow to a pagan king or to take on the evil ways of this king actually created the conditions that were necessary that Yeshua could be born into Israel and then that Yeshua could raise up the disciples that he raised up that first brought the good news to the rest of the world. This is how we know him today. However, we're also reminded that Sukkot is further known as the Feast of the Nations, as we said a few minutes ago. It is the time that celebrates when the Gentiles too would come to know the one true God, which began to come to pass in the story of Peter and the Roman centurion Cornelius and the household of Cornelius. And so also did that first Sukkot after the rededication of the temple call the worshipers of God in that time to their calling to propagate the faith in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to all people. In fact, it wasn't too many years later, too many decades later, that Israel really did become a very outreach-oriented nation, reaching out to the nations around them to help them to begin to understand that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is not like the gods of this world, the gods of mankind. He is the one true God. He is above all of this. He is the one who has created all things. I want you to look also at Genesis 9, 26 through 27 because I think it very important that we understand that prophetically the Bible not only speaks about the Jewish people and what God was calling them to, but it also speaks about the Gentiles and what God has called the Gentiles to do. We sang the song today, Jew and Gentile, one in Messiah, one in the olive tree. How wonderful. We really are one in Messiah. But what does it mean to be one in Messiah? I'll tell you one thing it means that I think too many miss, and that is that God has given us a calling, a calling to go forth and do his work, and that includes both Jew and Gentile together within the congregation. So in Genesis 9, 26 through 27, 
we read this. He also said, Blessed be Adonai. This was Noah prophesying. He also said, Blessed be Adonai, God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth. May he dwell in the tents of Shem. So what does this mean? Well, I'll give you my idea on what it means. First of all, Shem, those are the Jewish people. So the job of the Jewish people was to make room for a born-again, a Yafet who had come to faith in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to live in the tent of Shem. That means in the tent of God, if you'll have that. And an increase Yafet, because Yafet was to grow, would bring in all of these people who would also be within the tent of Shem. You remember the prophecy where God speaks to the people of Israel and says, more are the, wom- the barren woman than she who can bear children herself. This is exactly what this is talking about. Because I will tell you that after the disciples of Yeshua had gone out to the world and salvation had initially been brought to many thousands of Gentiles, that it was in fact those Gentiles, those of the house of Yafet, mostly Europeans because that's who Yafet is, is, uh, is the parent of, the European peoples, those were the peoples that took the good news of Yeshua, really took it mainstream across the entirety of the world, doing a wonderful work of reaching out to peoples that otherwise had never heard that there was such a God as that of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who had never heard of the Savior Yeshua, who had never heard that they could be forgiven of their sins, who had never heard the message of hope and salvation that only comes through Yeshua. And those were the people that brought it. And anyone who came to salvation anyone who came to know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob through Yeshua, they were one of those that was to be added under the tent of Shem. Wow, what an incredible time. What an incredible holiday. What deep meanings for this holiday. We also know that Paul tells us in Romans 11, 25 through 26, For I do not want you, brothers and sisters, to be ignorant of this mystery, lest you be wise in your own eyes that a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Now, I'm not going to give a teaching today on what that word fullness means. I will tell you one thing, though. It does not mean when a certain number of Gentiles is saved, that's the fullness of Gentiles. That's not what that's talking about. It's not the meaning of the word. The word there is pleroma. The meaning simply is not a number. It's not numerical in nature. It's really talking about a fullness, a repletion, a completion. It is talking about when the Gentiles have reached a certain fullness of maturity and life in Yeshua, that Well, the Bible oftentimes speaks about the remnant, right? 
It was a remnant of the people of Israel who returned from Babylon. That's the name of this synagogue, remnant of Israel. So that remnant of the Gentiles who has truly come to faith in Yeshua, when they come to that point of fullness, that point of repletion, that point of completion, that point where the very Spirit of God literally just shines through them, changed people, changed by the work that Yeshua has done in their hearts. This is what's going to open the eyes of all Israel. Paul even tells us elsewhere that we are indeed supposed to stir up the Jewish people to jealousy, those who are Gentiles. I will tell you, people are not jealous for something that they hate or loathe or fear. They are jealous for something that they desire and want because they know they should have it. They want it! And I found it was so very powerful serving as Gentile missionaries to the Jewish people in the former Soviet Union that we as Gentiles, when we would worship these holidays, were able to demonstrate to the Jewish people there something that the Jewish people had entirely forgotten because it had been taken away from them. But in addition to that, even those who did know about it, they saw something in the way that we celebrated these holidays that was different than the way they celebrated it. Because you see, it's not just a religious act to us. It's a joy. It is life itself. It's a worship of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And you see, when you add that element of true faith, it's not just a religious act anymore. A duty to be performed that can be very dry and cold. Rather, it becomes a joyous occasion to be celebrated. The point is this. The promise of God remains regardless of how difficult the times in which we live. Just as the promise of God was still with the people of Israel during those horrible years when they were controlled, when they were persecuted by this pagan king. You see, the darkness of the nation that we live in in no way reflects whether or not the promise is still made to us and still available to us or not. It's simply a reflection on that nation. And remember, remember, this is not our home anyways, is it? Is it? This is not our home. Come on, give me the north-south if you know this is not our home. We are strangers and aliens here. 
even as Abraham was a stranger and an alien in a land that was not his own. So also are we. We do have a home, but the home is to be with the Lord. That home is to be with Yeshua. We have a purpose here. Our purpose is to take the good news of Yeshua to the world. But that doesn't mean this world is our home. We are in the world, but not of the world, Scripture tells us. And yet we are told that we're to love the world as Yeshua loved the world. And how did Yeshua love the world? He laid his, hand, his life down for the world. That all who would put their faith in him could have life, could be born again, could be saved. Our purpose is to help people to find the Lord of life that they could be saved and so that they could experience that life. So the point is, just like <clears throat> the people of Israel during the time of the Maccabees were suffering terribly and were living in a really scary time, really scary Yet the promise was good, and I'll tell you something else. Our time is very little different than theirs. We too, as they were, are being pressured to convert to the perversions of an increasingly hostile society or face persecution. There are business people who have refused to bow the knee to bow the knee to the pagan ways of the day who have been driven out of their businesses in our country. Now, did those business owners bow the knee after that to this point? They have not. They've continued to resist the perversion of our culture. We too, as were they, are faced with a fierce battle to guard our children against those who would pervert them and turn them from God to the worship of Satan. You think of the number of issues in our public schools. The issue of whether a boy should be allowed into the girl's bathroom or locker room the issue of whether boys should be allowed to compete against girls. <laughs> to compete as girls? Really? The issue of teaching our children about sexual actions that are absolutely perverse. And yet our little children are being indoctrinated in these things. Hanukkah 2020. We too, as were they, are faced with enduring great loss if we remain faithful to Adonai. The worship of the one true God is being hindered and in some instances prohibited. 
The worship of Adonai is being called a hate crime in some circles and by some media outlets. Hanukkah is indeed being played out before our very eyes in the year 2020. Look, folks, if you haven't figured it out yet, we are at war. We need to stop being that frog, allowing ourselves to be cooked to death in that pot of water. Oh, just bask. Oh, it's nice. It's so warm. Mmm, it just feels good. We've been lulled to sleep. We need to wake up and realize what's happening around us. And a war is being waged for the soul of our nation, for the souls of our people, to include our beloved family members who are being taken by Satan away from God. And we've allowed it. As the living temple of God filled with his ruach, we indeed have a calling from him to wage this war that the name of God would not be blotted out from before our American people. Arm yourselves with the weapons of warfare, therefore, which are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds and which will bring into captivity any thought that exalts itself above the Lord God. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, but powerful through God to the tearing down of strongholds. We are tearing down false arguments and every high-minded thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. We are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Messiah. If you're not doing this now, it's time to start. You do not allow anything to exalt itself above God. You do not allow any thought to exalt itself above God. And that especially starts with you as individuals, but it increases as you take that to your families. You know, the Maccabees, they certainly didn't allow idle thoughts to exalt themselves above God, did they? Why do we? Why should we? Gird up your loins and join the battle then. The time is now for the weak knees to be made firm, for the cowardly to put on courage, and for the slothful to throw off his lethargy and energetically rush into the heart of the battle. Not the outside of the battle, not the rear, but to rush forward into the heart of the battle. This is what God has called us to do in Hanukkah 2020. I want you to remember something about this, though. Unlike the Maccabees, Unlike the Maccabees who were fighting directly before their gates. We're fighting before the very gates of hell. You, you know,
You know, Satan, when he sees people of God who have dedicated themselves to God's service, dedicated themselves to God's service, who are living for him, who will only bend their knee, only bend their knee to God. When Satan sees people like that, and he sees them filled to overflowing with the Ruach HaKodesh, he shudders. It frightens him. It frightens him. And when he sees this congregation beginning to grow into such a body of people who have dedicated themselves to God, dedicated themselves to each other, dedicated their children to God, who will only bend the knee to Yeshua, who have sanctified themselves, repented of their sins, who are walking in the righteousness that God has called them to, and then is filled with the Holy Spirit, it frightens Satan. This congregation frightens Satan. And that's happening more and more, folks. And it's not by accident that it's occurring in this year of 2020. That it started with the whole high holy days. And that it's continuing with Hanukkah. And it's continuing, well, Sukkot Bekislev. The Sukkot in the month of Hanukkah. Because that speaks about revival and that speaks about the Holy Spirit being poured out and it speaks about the people of God being empowered to do the work that God has called us to do. Hanukkah 2020, we are not weak, we are not put down, we are not the tail, we are the head, we have been empowered, we can go forth and we can take our world for the Lord Yeshua. You see, this is what Hanukkah is about. And in the year 2020, this is what Hanukkah means to us. And in the year 21, which is just around the corner, we're going to see such an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on this congregation. We're going to see signs and wonders happening here. We're going to see people being born again right here. We're going to see people come through that door and rushing down the aisle to the altar because they have heard that God is with us and they want to be part of it. Because you see, that's the promise of Hanukkah. That finally, once and for all, the enemy of our souls has been defeated. And with the enemies of our soul being defeated is the last enemy to be put under, to be put under God's feet. And that is the enemy of death. And that day's coming. And we're going to be a part of making it happen. So throw off anything that would hinder you from doing the work that God, God has called you to do and become part of this battle at Hanukkah 2020. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. In fact, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm going to ask a question. 
We saw this little baby dedicated today. Wonderful, wonderful. What a precious child. And what a precious family. But you know, frankly, God is calling all of us, all of us right now, to rededicate ourselves to Him and rededicate ourselves to the work that He's called us to. And I would just like to call anyone who would like to rededicate themselves today just to stand up right where you are right now. Just stand up where you are. You don't have to go anywhere. Just stand up where you are and we're going to pray. Because God is calling us to rededicate ourselves to His service now. Not later. Now. Because now is the time. Now is the time when the battle is being fought. Now is the time when the danger is the greatest. Now is the time that God most needs His servants to be walking with Him and to stand with Him and to do the work that He has called us to do as His servants. So I'm going to pray over you right now. Lord, You are the one who has created us. You are the one who has given us life. You are the one who has given us the words of life and shown us the ways of life. We thank you for this, Lord. Many of us have strayed, though. Many of us have backslidden. Many of us have fallen into a comfortable lifestyle, which we don't want to have that interrupted for anything. Well, when we're too comfortable, we're also like that frog being cooked in that pot of water. And that's certainly not a good thing. And so, Lord, today we are rededicating ourselves to you. We are rededicating ourselves to you. We're getting out of that pot of water. We're waking up from the slumber that we have been engaged in for far too long. We're taking up the weapons of our warfare. And we're standing before you now waiting for your marching orders. So Lord, we dedicate ourselves to you this day, Hanukkah 2020, for the purpose of walking in your ways and walking according to your will. Lord, we know that you have called us to reach out to the lost and those that don't know you. We ask that you would empower us to do this. Fill us with your Ruach HaKodesh anew. We ask that you would put your words in our mouth that we are to speak to those that you send us to and those that you give us responsibility for. We ask that you would empower us with signs and wonders following the preaching of your word and the sharing of your word. Lord, we ask that you would help us never again to return to the comfortable ways of the past, the normal ways of life, but that we would walk as spirit-filled people each and every day, never again to return to the slothfulness of the past. Lord, we thank you that you are with us today. We thank you that you inhabit our heart We thank you that you are filling us with your Ruach. Help us to walk in this way. Not just today, 
not just this week, not just this month, not just the next year, but for the rest of our lives. Truly dedicated to you, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God has shown himself as Father, as Son, Yeshua HaMashiach, and as Ruach HaKodesh to empower us, teach us all of God's ways, and to lead us into all truth. B'Shem Yeshua HaMashiach. Amen. Amen. Everyone please stand up. Gather with somebody. Nobody should be alone. We're a family. God puts us into family units. Amen. If you've got your tallit out still, uh, men, please uh, put it around your family. So the Lord said to Moses, teach your brother Aaron to pray over the people, saying these words, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. He also said that whenever Aaron would pronounce these words over the people, that he was, in fact, pronouncing God's name upon them. Now, to me, that is God's way of saying that he is very happy that we are his people, and he's very happy to be our God. Receive the blessing of the Lord, therefore. Yevarecha Vayishmarecha Yair Adonai Panavelecha Vichunecha Yisadonai Panavelecha Shalom. Go forth now, knowing that indeed we are living in a time just like those that saw the inauguration of the holiday Hanukkah. This is Hanukkah 2020. We face battle. We perhaps face hardship. But the promise is still alive to us. And the calling of God is upon us to go and preach the good news to the poor. To set the captives free. To open the eyes of the blind. That indeed the word of our Lord would go to all of the world. He tells us not to fear. He tells us to go forth in courage and in his peace, that peace that passes all understanding and that will keep our hearts and minds in Messiah Yeshua. Beshem Yeshua HaMashiach, in the name of Jesus the Messiah. And all God's people would say, Amen. Amen.